Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Well, happy Father's Day to all that to whom it applies. And uh, as with that day, as with Mother's Day, again, we always know, um, you know, there are different emotions and stuff that's uh, provoked on those days uh, that run from one end of the spectrum to the other. And uh, we try to the best of our ability to be mindful of that, amen, of each individual's case and circumstances amen today and the bible says though we have not many instructors in christ we do have one father and it wasn't talking about our earthly father it was talking about the father in heaven amen and so thank god for a father of heaven uh, that bends down that condescended so to speak to come alongside each and every one of us to uh, play that role in our life and he'll be that to us you allow him to i've i've seen him become a companion to those that was without companionship i've seen him become a father to the fatherless a mother to the motherless amen that is the type of the lord and god that we serve today i'm going to be turning to genesis chapter 32 amen um can we all just agree on one thing this morning since the hour is later i'm going to be later okay we're just going to make that agreement today since the hour is later i'm going to be later all right and so uh, just keep that in mind today amen give thank you to uh, pastor mason sister mason and the mason family uh, for taking care of services last weekend and keeping connect groups uh, going on wednesday and to all of our facilitators that uh, helped accomplish that as well and brother uh, zach mcgee filling in my stead in my particular group and we appreciate that uh, you know, you try to make sure everything's covered. And then one text about, I think it was Wednesday, when they asked about landscaping. And typically, I usually have Mike Penrod take care of that. But I didn't know if he was in a position to take care of it. It entered my mind, left my mind, never to be thought of again until they brought it up. And I said, no, I forgot to get somebody. So if we have any dead flowers out there, it'll be my, my fault. All right. And so just uh, please forgive me got the grace to make it through (laughs) the grace to make it through amen as you exit today there is a little booth out there if you want to take a picture with your father even if you don't have your father if you want to just take a picture with your family whatever you want to do with that so do uh if you will though when if you post that on the social media please just hashtag that f-a-c-f-d-21 that's First Apostolic Church, Father's Day 21, F-A-C-F-D 21. And what thou allow us to do, Brother Alex can look that up later, and he might see your face there, and he can share that then with our church, Facebook, and so on and so forth. And I think my wife may have included that hashtag on the sign that's out there uh, in the photo booth. And we have favors for every father today as we exit. Uh, we'll take care of that as well. Turning to Genesis 32. I would like to announce I'm proud of my wife, uh, but uh, this past week uh, she was elected as the vice president, the national vice president of the Women's Esprit Program of the Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, 
And whereas for the past several years, she served as the president in the District of Indiana over about 50 churches. Now she'll, as vice president, have about 26 districts. So you just start multiplying the churches, hundreds and hundreds of churches, both here within our country and in other countries as well. And so appreciate her, love her. And uh, she's not out here to hear all this. Somebody maybe be able to put in a good word for me and uh, so on and so forth. But uh, we love and appreciate her. Amen. Genesis 32, I want to begin reading with verse number 9 and go uh, through verse number 12 today. Genesis 32, verse number 9, and going to verse number 12. The Bible says, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which said us unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast shewed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan. This is Jacob returning home after, uh, you know, I think around 20 years or so of being away from a home. He says, for with my staff I passed over this Jordan and now I am become two bands Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. Remember, when he left, his brother desired to take his brother's life. So he says, Deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, lest he will come and smite me, and the mother with the children. And thou saidest, I will surely do thee good, and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude amen this morning i'd like to speak to us today this on this father's day the fatherhood principle the fatherhood principle amen we need the lord to help us here in the next little while father i come to you today god i'm grateful lord for another chance to be in your house god another father's day to be in the house of the lord i pray jesus you able to speak to us god through your word your word, Lord Jesus, provides instruction, Lord Jesus, for life. God, I want to be able to take, Lord, that instruction, apply it, Lord. God, where I may, Lord, in my individual life, God, as each of us, Lord, God, should and could, Lord, through your word today, in the name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. Jacob Sandals Rest on the familiar mountainous area of Gilead near the river called Jabbok. His staff is firmly in his grip. The Jordan River lies just a few miles to the west of him and the arid breeze sweeps over the terrain, kind of dishevels his hair somewhat. He sent news to his brother of his return after some 20 years of being gone from his mother and his father and his brother. He is uncertain how he will be accepted in this moment. 20 years is a long time to be gone, but is it long enough for Esau's murderous desires to have faded away from what they were 20 years earlier? The report returns to him and arrives that Esau is coming to meet Jacob. He's not coming alone. There will be 400 men, 400 soldiers. You might even deduce that's going to be with him. 
The Bible tells us that Jacob's heart fails. His countenance is somewhat anxious as a result of this news. He thinks that it would have been easier to have done what he's doing right now, maybe perhaps even 20 years ago. Whenever he left home, the Bible says that he had a staff. That is all that he was responsible for. A, a wooden stick, if you will. He had a staff that was in his hand. But when he crosses the Jordan River er, years earlier, he had no one to answer for. Didn't have nobody else to answer for. He didn't have anybody to answer to except himself. His material goods uh, just simply just pertain to the clothes that he had upon his own back. He had no companion when he left home. He had no servant, no maid, no wife. In essence, whenever Jacob left 20 years earlier, he took care of himself. He watched out for himself because he was by himself. Jacob predominantly navigated his whole life through rocky times and misunderstandings with Esau, his brother, with his uncle Laban, and even with the wives that he would eventually have. And he did all this primarily as a lone ranger by himself. He was alone. He had no one else to be responsible for. However, as he approaches the river Jabbok after 20 years of being gone, he now doesn't just have the staff that is in his hand. He now doesn't just have the clothes that was up on his back, but he has a whole family to consider now as he is returning home. He might have lived whenever he left and reacted when he left one way when it was only him, but now he has a family. He fears that Esau is going to smite him. And he, notice what he says in verse 11. Not only that Esau might smite him, but the mother with the children also. 20 years earlier, he wouldn't have to use that phrase. But now he does because he's not just a man passing over the river now. He's a father passing over the river. As he stands pondering his brother's arrival, he knows the solitary staff that he holds has evolved into, by his own admission, two bands of people. He now has oxen and asses and camels and flocks and herds and men servants and women servants and children. He has divided his goods according to the story goes. He's divided them into livestock and people. He's divided them into two camps. He's proven to himself throughout the years of the 20 years that he's been gone. He's proven himself to be a shrewd businessman. He knows how to increase his holdings. He is mindful of both quantity and quality whenever it comes to his own personal assets. This legacy he has built from the ground up with only a wooden staff whenever he crossed over the Jordan initially. He has people that is working for him. He has people that is serving him. And in many regards, his life has been lived with himself in mind. I mean, who else could leave home with nothing and return with such an entourage and such wealth and such riches as Jacob has? Whenever he left 20 years ago, his risk staying was greater than his risk for leaving. Jacob 
Jacob's mom even pulled him aside and you can read this in Genesis 27 but Jacob's mom even pulled him aside and tells him now Jacob I want you to leave I want you to go to Laban because your brother wants and desires to kill you however whenever she spoke to Jacob's father this is what she told Jacob's father she tells him she says I'm worried about Jacob that he might marry uh, somebody that, that he shouldn't marry. And so I'm worried about him. And so Jacob, as we read the scripture, was probably never privy, amen, to that conversation that his mother had with his father. Probably never knew about that conversation. Amen. And so his father understands, according to the mother, that she's worried about who he might marry, but she sends him away in reality because she's worried that his brother, just might kill him. So his mom says, I need you to go, Jacob, because of your past, because of you having cheated your brother, because of you of having stolen the blessing. I need you to go because of your past. But his father talks to him with only the knowledge that he has and tells him, Jacob, you need to go because of your future. His mother says, you need to go because of your past. But his daddy says, you need to go because of your future. And so when Jacob leaves, all he has is his manhood but when he returns he has a new identity of status known as fatherhood prior to Esau's arrival Jacob contemplates these two complementary yet very dissimilar statuses of manhood and fatherhood note verse 10 that I read amen to you today he says for with my staff I passed over the Jordan that that applies and that pertains to his manhood he says but now I have become two bands that pertains to his fatherhood I got a little bit of scripture to read here today follow along if you will in Genesis 32 and verse 13 the Bible this is as Jacob is going to approach Esau the Bible says he lodged there that same night and took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau, his brother. 200 she-goats and 20 he-goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milch camels with their coats, 40 kine, 10 bulls, 20 she-asses and 10 fowls. Amen. And he delivered them into the hand of his servant. Every drove by themselves and said unto his servants, Pass over, this is important, pass over before me and put a space betwixt drove and drove. And he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau my brother meeteth thee and asks thee, saying, Whose art thou and whither goest thou and whose are these before thee? Then thou shalt say, They be thy servant Jacob's. It is a present sent unto my Lord Esau and behold also he is behind us and so commanded he the second and the third and all that followed the grove saying on this manner shall ye speak unto Esau when you find him and saying moreover behold thy servant Jacob is behind us for he said I will appease him with the present that goeth before me and afterward I will see his face preadventure he will accept me 
Upon first reading, we believe that Jacob's manhood perhaps maybe had him parade his flocks and his herds before Esau. You know, almost like men sometimes like to do in a boasting type way. Here's all my stuff. Here's my herd and here's my cattle. Here's my flocks. Boasting perhaps of his resources and his riches. And sure, they may be presented and they were as gifts. But what better way to illustrate your worth? than by the gifts you can give, right? And so here is Jacob presenting all of these monetary things unto Esau. Or maybe perhaps his success had him thinking, if Esau slaughters these animals that I send before me, these herds and these flocks that I send before me, and does not accept them but slaughters them, that's just really dust on the scales compared to all of the resources that I have amassed in my past 20 years. It's just a a little flash in the pan of what I owe. But it's then we pick up on something that is mentioned twice in this small setting of verses. Jacob tells his servant that have these flocks and these groves that are going on before him unto his brother Esau. He tells his servants to tell Esau, these are your servant Jacob's. And he sent them as a present to my Lord Esau. Wait a minute, Jacob. You're you're the manly man that crossed over the Jabbok with just a staff and now you have all this stuff and now you're approaching your brother and saying, I'm your servant. Now come on, man up, buddy. You gotta do better than that. You're now passing over in front of your brother and calling him your Lord. Wait a minute. This, This, what we see in scripture, isn't a man that's strutting his success in front of his brother. This isn't some, this is this what appears to be, he's a spineless wimp right here, cowering before his brother. He's calling himself a servant and he's calling his brother Lord. Amen. He sent all of this before him because he's a little intimidated amen to meet his possible perturbed brother. I mean man up Jacob. What are you a sissy? Go out there and just show your brother who's boss. Someone say amen. But the struggle between manhood and And fatherhood is real right here because manhood will attempt you to protect who you become and what others think about you. But fatherhood will cause you to protect the future generations and the seed that is along beside you. The Bible says in verse 22 of Genesis 32, and he rose, speaking of Jacob, he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his 11 sons and passed over the four Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent, and sent over that he had. Jacob's manhood, watch here this morning, I'll flip back and forth, but Jacob's manhood had him send his wives and children over the brook Jabbok along with everything that he had. Because at this moment, he was more concerned about protecting himself. All of his flocks are before him. His wives and children are before him. He's not out in front. He's behind. This is a man that's trying to self Preserve. Fatherhood was lacking in this moment because he sent everybody on over before him and he sent them ahead and he lagged behind. He didn't lead them. 
he sent them. Can I just preach here a little while on this Sunday morning? Amen. A good measuring stick for determining if we're acting out of manhood or fatherhood is whether or not we're sending our kids and our family or if we're leading our kids and our family. A man will send his kids to church, but a father will take his kids to church. A man will tell his kids to worship, but a father will lead his kids in worship. A man will scold his kids. A man will scold his kids for something they should not have done, but a father will not contradict what he said with what he does. Manhood says go ahead, but fatherhood says come along. The principle of fatherhood today, as Jacob sent his family over the brook, the Bible says his fatherhood, no doubt, as we read, was at stake. As he was left alone, the Bible says that he wrestled with a man. Come to find out, this, this manifestation was God himself. Amen. And as he wrestles with a man, because just think of two men fighting. You know manhood's at stake in that moment. Huh? Nobody go talk to me like that. Nobody go touch me like that. Nobody go get the upper hand on me. I'm a man. His manhood's at stake. I don't know of a single man that really wants to admit that he was whooped by another man. There might be one somewhere. Because that hurts our pride. But Jacob, and as far as he knows thus far, and this man are wrestling. The remainder of the night until morning and it seems like neither is prevailing but this man touches the hollow of Jacob's thigh and Jacob continues to hold on to him and again to come to find out he finally realizes this isn't just another man this is a manifestation of God and so God has been wrestling with this man Jacob God has touched the hollow of the thigh of this man Jacob, if I can tell it like this this morning, God touched the very abode of his strength. The thighs of a man, and for any person for that matter, is an abode of strength. It is the major support of his legs. It's the very member that enables him to stand. Yet God reached forth and touched that. Let me say it like this. God touched an anatomical part of his manhood so he could release Jacob's fatherhood in him. Someone say amen. Because the man Jacob leaves that scene. Amen. And that encounter, he's limping. The man Jacob leaves limping. But the father Israel leaves prevailing. His manhood had been touched. But his fatherhood had been released. Because prior to Jacob wrestling with the angel, we find that he's behind Everything he has, his wife, his children, everything he owns. He's behind his droves of animals. Prior to his wrestling match, he sends over his wives. He sends over his children. And he's left alone on the other side of the brook Jabbok. They pass over before him. But after his wrestling match, look at it. The Bible says that Jacob now is taking the lead. Because there was a decisive factor in the wrestling match of separating his manhood from his fatherhood and what needed to take priority. 
You passed over Jordan when you only had manhood, but now you have two statuses, and you got to come to terms when you need to defend your fatherhood more than your manhood. Oh, yeah. He divides his wives and the children that he had by each of his wives into groups. The Bible says in Genesis 33 and verse 3, and he, Jacob, passed over. Look at it now. This is after the wrestling match. And he passed over before them. He is now leading his families. He's leading his children. And Jacob approaches Esau with his hat in his hand, so to speak. He struggled with one man at the brook Jabbok and now he faces 401 men, including his brother, 401 men that are approaching him. Considering manhood, the picture before us is a little bit embarrassing because as Jacob goes to meet his brother and these 400 men, he's limping. I don't know if it was just visible or if he tried to cover it up. You know how it is? Man hurt. He don't want no other man to know he's hurting. Yeah, you'll you'll walk with a little step, you know, swagger if you got to. Just try to make him think you don't have a limp. It's got to be a little embarrassing because he's headed over to his brother. He don't know what the outcome is going to be of all this. He's limping. And the Bible says that he bows seven times as he nears Esau. Jacob is at Esau's mercy. Uh, again, no one knows the intentions of Esau quite yet. And the Bible says, you got to understand how embarrassing this. Here's Jacob limping to him. And the Bible says, it's in your Bible, that Esau ran to meet him. So we got a limping man headed toward a running man. I'm not talking about that one either. We got a limping man headed toward a running man. And the blessing that Jacob had stole years earlier described that nations would bow down to Jacob. It described that his brother Esau would bow down to Jacob. But here in the scripture, Jacob is bowing down to his brother. Jacob is doing everything he can to honor what he dishonored years ago. Manhood didn't cause him to do that. Fatherhood did. Why? He says, because I'm not standing here just for myself. I'm not just standing here with a staff just in my hand. I'm standing here and I got 12 boys. I'm standing here and I got some precious wives. And so how I act in this moment, I gotta forget about manhood for a moment and I gotta think of a higher matter right now, fatherhood. Someone might say, you know, Jacob, if you was a man, you'd not have bowed to Esau. If you was a man, you wouldn't have used all that politeness. You, you, all that would have been sparse if you was really a man. If you was a man, you, you told Esau, I don't owe you anything. If you was a real man, Jacob. But everything he did wasn't a man that was trying to save face. This wasn't about his manhood. It's about his fatherhood. Men, I've seen men in my lifetime, and again, 
I serve in different aspects of ministry, so you see it all, know a little bit of it all. Men have tried to take risks, sometimes that are nothing more but self-benefiting decisions. Self-benefiting decisions. But where Jacob stood where he stood, there was another status at stake. Fatherhood. Because listen to me clearly, what you might risk in manhood, sometimes you got to opt to resist in fatherhood. What you might fight for as a man, you really need to forfeit as a father. Because fatherhood encompasses more than the man and his past or his present standing among his peers. It really encircles future generations, the future. Whenever Esau and Jacob met, Esau never mentions anything about Jacob's limp. Doesn't point it out. Does it bring it up for a topic of discussion? He doesn't mention anything of Jacob's limp. Let me call that manhood. Didn't bring it up. But the thing that Esau did inquire about, he said, what about all these women and these children that are here with you? He didn't bring up his manhood. He brought up Jacob's fatherhood. What Jacob feared Esau would eliminate, Esau found interest in. Tell me about these wives and these children. The Bible says in Genesis 33 and verse 5, and he, that's Esau, lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, who are those with thee? And he said, this is Jacob speaking, the children which God hath graciously given thy servant. What are you saying? I'm saying this, fathers, at this stage of life, your fatherhood trumps your manhood. Mm -hmm. Underscoring our manhood may make us feel superior, but underscoring our fatherhood will make us feel grateful. Jacob said, these are the children that God graciously gave unto me. The same, what are you saying? I'm saying, Jacob, the same person isn't returning that left 20 years ago. Back then, a man left, but now a father returns. There, this is never more evident than what happens just here a little bit later in verse number 12 of Genesis 33. The Bible says, and he said, let us take our journey and let us go and I will go before thee. And he said, into him that, that that's what Esau said let's let's go on our journey and I'll go before you verse 13 and he said this is Jacob unto him my Lord knoweth that the children are tender and the flocks and herds with young are with me and if men should overdrive them one day all the flock will die let my Lord I pray thee pass over before his servant and I will lead not send I will lead on softly and according as the cattle that goeth before me and the children be able to endure until I come unto my Lord unto Seir. In other words, Esau wants him and Jacob to travel together to Seir. And Esau wants to take the lead. He says, let me go. Let us go. I'll go before you. I'll lead us all. He wants to take the lead. But Jacob politely refuses. Again, not because of manhood, but because of his fatherhood. 
Listen to me. Some scholars have determined that the eldest of Jacob's children at this point of time is around 13 years of age and the youngest is around six years of age. So we have those 12 tribes of Israel, so to speak, the men from which they come, the oldest being around 13, the youngest being around six years of age. And Jacob's plea in this matter is this. He says the children are tender. The kids are delicate. If I may go a step further, they are inexperienced. Amen. As a matter of fact, the word tender, amen, in some lexicons are, are defined as this, meaning they are weak, especially of body, but also of undeveloped character. Someone say amen. And so Jacob says they're, they're tender. He says, I know you're wanting to lead us all, but I got some, some young kids here. I got from age 13 down to six. They're young, they're delicate. And he says, if men should overdrive them one day, he says, if men should overdrive them one day, all the flock, figuratively, animals and children, he says, will die. If I may, if I may, Esau, I can't have, I know you want to lead us all, but I can't have another man leading my children. You said you'll go before us and you'll take the lead. But I got kids from 13 to 6 right here. They're undeveloped bodily. They're undeveloped in their character. And I can't forfeit my right as their father to allow another man. says because if, a man, if men should overdrive them he said all the flocks will die if men if I could even say if manhood drives them I may lose them this can't be led by mere men it's got to be led by their father Jacob told Esau then as politely as possible he says go ahead just go ahead it's all right. You and your gang and your 400 ragtag group, you just all go ahead. Because I'm homing in on something I didn't have 20 years ago. Fatherhood. And you know he was looking at fatherhood. Anytime you can tell another man to get ahead of you, your focus evidently is not manhood. Because that's not how manhood works. Another man getting ahead? competition on you hear me it's like okay don't worry about it. I'm going to let you win in the last quarter mile that's not manhood that tells me what Jacob had in mind at this point it was fatherhood because he says you go on and get there first I got to stay with the young and the tender and I got to make sure that they're not overrun that there are no losses to count at the end of the day once I arrive Someone say amen. It wasn't that Jacob wasn't going to make any progress. It's just that his progress was going to be slower than Esau's progress. It's just that his progress was going to be at a rate slower than his brother. His pace would be with all of the consideration of the weak and the frail and the 
fragile and the vulnerable that was alongside him. All the while, he's being mindful of his children. He's being mindful of his livestock, of everything that is under his care. He's being mindful of. Amen. You you know what I said the other night? It's been a few weeks ago now. Uh, uh, Zach and, and Melin was getting things together. Everybody was virtually out of the building except for them and maybe a few others. And they were picking up, you know, car seats and baby bag. And I just looked over my shoulder at them. I said, yeah, everything takes longer with kids, doesn't it? If you want to do anything, getting in the car is a marathon, not a sprint once you have kids. Eating a meal is a marathon and not a sprint once you have kids. And so what Jacob is saying, I can't run the, I can't run the sprint right now with you, Esau. It's going to be a marathon because i got to slow down and give consideration to the children. That's fatherhood speaking, not manhood. Jacob could have traveled at the pace of his brother Esau and thus sacrificed all of his flocks and sacrificed the unsteady children he had with him had he hurried along had he had no regard even for a day he could have lost them all the fatherhood the fatherhood said i gotta take my time here's the fact folks the bible tells us that jacob will eventually reach bethel matter of fact i don't think he ever intended to go to mount sierra that's where esau was headed that's where the edomites were that's where his brother dwell. I don't think he ever meant to ever go there. And I don't think he ever meant his children to go there. Someone say amen. Because each of my kids are not just tender physically. More important, they're still tender in their value system. Edom was not very good, not, not looked very highly upon in God's word. Israel got a lot of flack from the Edomites in their journey through the wilderness, in their journey to the land of promise. You know, I believe Jacob, as a father, was saying, I can't allow us and all of our kids to go where you are because they don't have a value system yet strong enough to not fall prey to compromising in the land of Edom. He says, so I'm going to lead them. And we're going to Bethel, the house of God. We're not going to Sierra. We're going to Bethel, the house of God. Because at the house of God, the tender can be made strong. Characters can be developed. And they'll be able to withstand some things in adulthood. But I've got to be conscious as a father. Where I lead them and what pastures they lie down in. And what wells they drink from. Someone say Amen. He's going to get it. Jacob will catch up. But for now, he's just going to walk at a pace that everyone can survive. He can go slowly and everyone can make it. Or he can go fast and lose a whole segment of what God had given him. He can, listen to me, he can guard his ego, not allowing another man to get ahead of him and lose his family. Or he can protect his future and slow down. He can either prove his manhood or he can relish in the fatherhood he now has. Genesis 33 and verse 16. So Esau returned that day on his way unto Seir. And Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built him a house and made booths for his cattle. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. Jacob didn't travel 
a hundred miles south to Sierra. Rather, according to the word, he went four miles west, just four miles, four miles west to Succoth and remained there for a time. It seems by chapter 34, whenever we begin reading it, and the activity and the responsibilities of the children, it seems by chapter 34 of Genesis that Jacob's children have grown up. Therefore, his time spent at Sukkoth must have been very significant because it gave time for children to age, disciplines to be implemented, characters to be developed. And note what he does at that place of Sukkoth. He builds him, the Bible says, meaning his family. He builds him a house and makes booths, which are temporary structures, for his cattle. He builds momentary structures to tend to worldly matters. And a permanent residence to tend to his family. The wealth of the livestock that may have attributed to his manhood. Look what I did just with a staff getting over here. Stood secondary to the living testaments of his fatherhood. That he put under the shelter of a permanent dwelling place. You can read this later in the book of the Bible when the children and the tribes of Israel finally get into the promised land. I believe it was the tribe of Reuben, amen, and, and part of the tribe of Manasseh. They speak into Moses. They're going to have to pass over the Jordan. They want to settle. They want to settle on the east side of Jordan rather than entering the promised land, amen. And they say unto Moses, say, we're going to sit right here and we're going, to, we're, going to build some, we're going to build some houses or we're going to build some booths for our livestock and we're going to build some some places of dwelling for our families as well. Notice the order. They state first their livestock and their cattle that they're going to do for and then their family. Moses speaks back to them and says, okay, you guys can do that, but he reverses the order. You can read this in Numbers. He said, go on and build you a dwelling place for your family and then take care of your livestock. Moses was picking up on something. He says, you all have a whole lot more concerned about your material goods than you do your family or you wouldn't have mentioned it first. He says, this is what, go on and do what you say, but just reverse it you take care of your family then you take care of your worldly matters yeah, that's... someone say amen stand with me today Jacob in some fashion or way was instrumental in the names of the three places leading up to Sukkoth. The Bible says, because of the booths that Jacob made there, therefore the name of the place is called Sukkoth, which means booths. But leading up to that place, there were some other names that he had met along his travel. After he had left home, there was Bethel. There was Mahanaim and Penel. They can all be attributed to some means or way. They're naming by Jacob. Each of these locations, he either interacted with God there. 
He interacted with one of God's messengers there at Bethel. He had the interaction with God. It's where the staircase leading into heaven, the ladder that led to heaven that he seen and saw and that he gave witness to. At Mahan Naim, amen, he had one of God's messenger that met him there and there's a naming. At Penel, that's where he wrestled with the angel and there was a name then given to the place and he has all of these interaction. But that's not the case per se at the place called Sukkoth. There was not per se an interaction with God there. Or there was not some angelic visitation there. But it was no less a God moment though we see and hear of no angels and of no manifestation of God. It was there at Sukkoth that a man decided that all the affairs and all the resources of his life stood secondary and temporary compared to his family. It's there that a man elevated fatherhood over his manhood. It's named Sukkoth because, listen to me, unless we remember what's temporal, we may forfeit what's paternal. So my admonition to every father in this building this morning is this. Hold your staff. Go on and hold it. Hold that old gnarly wooden staff. Hold that staff in your hand, Jacob. But never any more tightly than you do your family. Go and hold that thing that is a representation of everything you possess. But never any more tightly than you do your family. I don't care if you can chew roofing nails, right, and survive a near-death experience. Will you be a father for the generations that are yet to come? Will you? I don't care if you reach some high place of hierarchy in, in, in a, a corporate business. I don't care if you make uh, all types of money and you amass the most beautiful home and car. All of that is tremendous. But make booths for all of that worldly affair. And make a house a home for your family. That's the principle of fatherhood that Jacob truly wrestled with on his return. If we unbow our heads in this place today. God, I thank you this morning, Lord, for God, the privilege. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege. God, of fatherhood. God, we were born into this world from our mother's womb. And yes, anatomically and biologically, God, as men. And that follows with us and always will the number of our days upon this earth. But there are other statuses that, that find their place in our lives along the journey. That in essence are not in competition with what we were first called to from the womb. But it's meant to complement. And it's meant to help guide and thrust us forward. In these other statuses such as fatherhood. I pray, oh God, today. Help us, Lord. Not just to dwell upon the past or personal standing or try to protect, if you will, images and things of that nature. But we must, we must 
be fathers. There's the tender, there's the delicate, there's the young age, there's those that are still characters that are developing along the way. I pray, oh God, help us to be Lord Jesus fathers and practice the principle, Lord of fatherhood. Help us, God, to build houses and homes around that. Lord, if there's anything that's going to be temporary, let it be around just the worldly Lord goods and Lord Jesus, that which is added to our life as we live along. But God, help us to build homes and houses about our children, our wife. I pray, oh God, and invest, Lord Jesus, deeply there. Precepts to be taught there. Not allowing anybody else to lead and not standing behind them and say, go on, go on. Go there, do that. Not to be the voice behind them, but to be the voice in front of them that says, come along. Help us, God, to practice the principle of fatherhood. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if there's anybody in this place, if there's a father here today that says, Brother McGee, I, I feel like in some regards, in some ways that, you know, that, that, that I have, I've, I've steered from what should be primary in life as far as being the Father. And I just need your help to pray for me that, that, that we can just turn this around. We, we just might need a Jabbok River moment. A Jabbok River moment where God can touch our manhood and cause some weakness, if you will, to grow there with a limp so that He can release our fatherhood in us. There may be someone here this morning. You lift that hand. No one looking around. I'll just pray for you. Join with you in prayer. Because here's the fact of the matter, folks. None of us are beyond being able to turn something around. None of us are beyond able to make amends, able, if you will, to take up the, the, the mantle of fatherhood and walk, if you will, very strongly and confidently with that. Hallelujah. None of us, we can prioritize that where it needs to be in our human lives. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray one more time. Amen. Before we're dismissed in this place, God, I pray today, God, every hand that was raised, every father, Lord God, with an omission in their spirit this morning that says, Lord, I, I don't want to elevate my manhood above my fatherhood i don't i don't i don't lord god before before marriage and before there was a child born in my life it it was just me i just had me to concern about but god now now i have this this precious wife and i i have this child or i have these children and god i i i got to i got to lead them God, I got to, I got to make a, a dwelling for them and I, I got to prioritize things right, God. They need to hear my voice out in front of them. They need to see that I'm leading them by my action and not just by my words. I need, I need Lord Jesus to practice, Lord, the principle of fatherhood before them. I pray, oh God, today minister, Lord God, to that man, that grandfather, perhaps, Lord. It could be an uncle, Lord Jesus, whatever the capacity, Lord Jesus, that they may serve in. I pray, Lord, Lord, you would help them and encourage them today, Lord, to do so. God, help us to have that Jabbok experience. Help us to have that Jabbok experience where things, Lord, become clear and purposes become, Lord God, stilly appropriate, Lord, for our future and for the future of our families. God will not fail to thank you and praise you for it today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Hallelujah and amen and amen and amen. And the church say amen. There's only one service today. You've just been in that. All right. Take the rest of this day. Spend times with your family. There are, uh, again, favors there on the back for you to get. 
those are bottles very similar to the mother's got dad is on them in vinyl form at the bottom what is inside there again are novelty socks if you don't like them figure out something to do with it put it over the head of a golf club for whatever you need to do you know fill it with sand uh so on and so forth and uh we also got we also got uh, the photo booth in the back that you can take pictures at but right before we leave here today let's take a thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter with the username facmc again that's facmc thank you and have a blessed day